I voted so I don't get a fine because the fines went up to $50 last year, they're not just $20 anymore. Is it on? Look, I'm going to uh, shirt front, Mr Putin. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. No, wait, it, it is on? Uh, you bet you are. Uh, you bet I am. I don't like it. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Well, may we say God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of BuzzFeed Australia's political podcast, Is It On? I'm recording this on the afternoon of Monday the 30th of July. My name is Alice Workman. I'm sitting here in the BuzzFeed studio in Sydney with the star of the runaway hit, Talking Memes, Brad Esposito. Thank you, Alice. Happy to be at work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and fresh from the electorate of Mayo in South Australia, BuzzFeed reporter Elfie Scott. Elfie making her debut on the podcast. Welcome. Hello. Thank you very much. Uh, now, Brad, talking memes. Uh, yep. It was the show that the internet didn't know it needed mm-hmm. and it's just taken off. It has. The reception has been wonderful. Uh, I was expecting that, but it's good to finally get that kind of validation. <laughs> So if anyone hasn't seen it, we did we did a spoof of talking pictures from insiders with yep. Brad and Lane, mm. uh, Lane who is in court and can't be here at this podcast at this current time, um, uh, not in court on charges, no. in court reporting. Yeah, she's there for fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, yeah. So Lane and Brad did a did a parody of uh, talking memes, and uh, turns out the internet likes memes. Yeah, can I just say like, my mum has never been more impressed with anything I have done at work. Like that she loves it. no, she loves it because she watches insiders and talking pictures mm. every week. And when I t- when I told her about it, I had to explain what a meme was. But like, <laughs> she was so How do you ready. Explain to someone what a meme is out of interest. A meme is a piece of content that has been created and then modified by other people, uh, and then it can become part of a cultural zeitgeist or or move on to uh, the internet. Or sometimes it stays offline. It doesn't have to be online. So it's basically just something that has a meaning and then that meaning is transformed. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Watch the show. Well. Yeah. Well, well, well. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's quite funny in the uh, the entertainment side of the office, so the guys that write for Buzz um, have picked up the Lucy Gachui meme. Oh, yeah. Next question. See ya. And I always hear them saying, see ya to each other. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's great. Okay, Elfie, you were in uh, Mayo, where, of course, uh, Rebecca Sharkey maintained her seat this uh, last couple of days, Super Saturday. Uh, you, But you were at um, her election night party. I was indeed. It was quite the romp. No sign of Nick Xenophon. No. But how did you describe... You saw some ukulele playing... Um, and how did you describe it to me? <laughs> um, so this was a group of, they, they, they dubbed themselves the Orange Army, actually. And it was a group of people who were, you know, exclusively over the age of about 55. Uh, three ukuleles, I believe, were in play. And they played Tina Turner's Simply the Best. It's not how you described it to me earlier. You described it to me as there was that You're the Best song. I, I think it's I think it's South <laughs> I Australian. Did. <laughs> I did do the most <laughs> appalling rendition of that song. But you know what? I actually listened to it on YouTube afterwards and I was like, this song has no melody. I couldn't even do this song if I'd listened to it properly. It the There's one, no tune. Is it the one from the NRL? Yeah. Right. Simply the best. 
Yeah, see, that's the best impression you can do. I think the podcast should just be Alice singing. Sometimes it is. And then what was the other one? You Are My Sunshine. Yes, but they had this tendency while they were playing to try and awkwardly replace words with the name Rebecca. So You Are My Sunshine turned into Rebecca's My Sunshine, which, I mean, phonetically just doesn't work at all. Terrible. Yeah, no. I mean, the meter would be all off. Yeah, it was awful. So, Brad, what was your takeaway from Super Saturday? Oh, I just loved it. Uh, um, no, look, like as as someone who is not as hugely involved in politics as some other people in the Alice, I mean, in the office, I guess that's a good slip up. Um, <laughs> um, ouch, 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 ouch. I always kind of assumed Labour were going to win everything mm. um, because I read like one story that was like the seats never change. And I was like, that's good enough for me. Uh, and sure enough, that happened. So my advice is to only ever read one piece of analysis about any kind of political story. What was your favourite meme from... I mean, you 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 liked Big Trev. I was a big fan of Big Trev, although we did have a lot of discussion in the office about whether or not it was Big Trev or Large Trev or slightly bigger than others Trev. Mm. Um, there was a lot of competition to figure out his size. Mm. Um, but that meme was Is that great. investigation ongoing? Or now that he hasn't been elected, are you going to drop it? Yeah, look, it might... People might not care as much. I still care, so I might do it in my own time, you know, (laughs) (laughs) just when I get home. (laughs) Now we should mention in Longman, where Big Trev uh, was the candidate for the LNP, um, uh, there was also a One Nation candidate, uh, Pauline Hanson, wasn't there mm. she uh she booked the cruise and wasn't willing to pay that cancellation fee who is and so well yeah she's an everyday australian yeah exactly yep. and uh you know she was just enjoying the waters around england <laughs> yeah <laughs> like everyone wants it to is hot there to be fair <laughs> well, I, it's I've hot he- there at the i've moment. heard it was 30 degrees it was absolutely boiling yeah um so yeah so she wasn't on the polling booths on saturday but uh intrepid buzzfeed senior reporter josh taylor managed to get an interview with one of the Pauline Hanson cutouts that they had propped up at polling booths. And uh, here, uh, take, a, take a listen to this. Pauline Hanson, Josh Taylor from BuzzFeed News. Can I get your thoughts on the Longman by-election? Do you have anything to say to the people of Longman? What about claims that you've abandoned your candidate just before the, the vote result? Fucking love it. <laughs> uh, so, Elfie, what was your takeaway from you spent some time in, you spent three days in Adelaide without seeing Nick Xenophon, which I think is a record. Um, what did you think uh, about what you saw on Super Saturday? Oh, God, you're asking a science journalist what they think <laughs> of politics. How dare you? Um, I actually, I mean, I think, you know, there was the sense on the ground that people just wanted to keep the Liberal Party out. And so there was a a nice kind of alliance, I suppose, that I witnessed between, say, like, Labor volunteers and Centre Alliance people and the Greens. Everybody was just in a really good mood. It was Mm. nice. Um, But I would also like to propose a veto on the term underdogs because that... It's just so annoying. Don't you and find also, that? I think that you can be strategic about how you use it. Malcolm Turnbull often refers to himself, the Prime Minister, as an underdog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's one of the biggest underdogs in Australia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which is absurd, right? Yeah. 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 Mm, okay. Um, now, uh, before we jump into... Oh, 
So the reason that we're here is that we're, hello, hello, thanks for listening. We're introducing, uh, we did a live show on Twitter on Sunday uh, called Super Sunday Brunch, where we wrapped up uh, what happened the night before uh, with a bunch of people, including Labor Senator Doug Cameron, Amy Ramikas from Guardian Australia was there, so it was former Labor Senator Sam Destiari, Evan Mulholland from the IPA, he's also a former Liberal staffer to Mitch Fifield, and Ben Rowey, uh, the electoral analyst from tallyroom.com.au was also with us. And, and they, they're going to run through all of the uh, Super Saturday results. But really quickly, let's have a... It's now time for another McKellie Cash Update. It's time for a McKellie Cash Update, guys. About time. Uh, we couldn't have we couldn't have a podcast without a Michaelia Cash yep. update. So that's why we have the podcast. In breaking news, in the last couple of hours, the Australian Federal Police have referred its investigation into the media leaks uh, from Michaelia Cash's office about the raids on the Australian Workers Union to the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions, also known as the DPP, to determine whether charges should be laid. So the AFP is now liaising with the DPP, and they're aiming to give material to them in the next couple of weeks. So we're talking about their interviews, text messages, emails, a whole bunch of things. And then the DPP will decide if charges should be laid. Now, the offence that they're looking at is called unauthorised disclosure of government information and carries a maximum two-year jail term. And I know, Brad, you really you want to get to the, to the heart of what this really means. So do you want to hear some quotes from Australian law? Would about... I ever? <laughs> okay. A person who publishes or communicates without lawful authority or excuse any fact or document which came into his or her knowledge and into his or her possession by virtue of being or having been a Commonwealth officer and which is not his or her duty to disclose commits an offence. Brilliant prose. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like my brain has leaked out the back of my skull. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, of course, this means that the federal court case into the raids is now on hold because it's on hold till the AFP's investigation is over. They were meant to finish it this week. Um, Obviously, that's not going to happen now. Mm. Uh, Instead... They've said, look, we're going to check back in in six weeks and see how we're going. Um, but the AFP are going to front estimates on Friday morning at 9am. So that'll be exciting. Yeah. What a way to spend your Friday. Yeah, I love estimates. Yeah. Just love them. <laughs> um, <laughs> Australian politics. Yay! <laughs> Any final thoughts before we move into the Super Saturday show? Um, I noticed that whoever was running the Twitter account during the live show... There were some great tweets coming out of the BFOS poll. Um, yes, Brad. So you uh, so you noticed that you did some good tweeting. Yes. Okay, great. Yeah, I just want to bring attention to that. You can see the tweets in question of Brad's work from Sunday morning mm. at eleven a.m. Mm. on at Buzzfeed Oz poll. Yes. And what's your Twitter handle, Braddy BB? Yeah, it's Braddy BB B R A Double D Y Double B. Elfie, what's your Twitter handle? <laughs> Jesus Christ, you promote your Twitter so confidently. Um, mine is just at Elfie Scott, so E-L-F-Y Scott with two Ts, and you'll find that I have just over 100 followers. Has now. it gone up? Yeah, it has. It doesn't look like a spam account anymore. It's very <laughs> exciting. Everyone, if you're out there, please go onto Elfie's Twitter account and give us some RTs. Yeah, follow And follow it, follow it, follow it. Oh, please Give us some RTs. Such mediocre content. Um, no, not at all true. <laughs> no, you write really interesting science stuff. I learn about your articles. Me time. too. Oh, I learn so much from them. Um, and then my Twitter handle is at Workman Alice. Um, I guess that's it. Okay, thank you so much for listening. Bye. 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 Hello and welcome.
Welcome to Ozpol Live for our Super Sunday Brunch Edition. And how did things go so wrong for Malcolm Turnbull? That is the question on everybody's lips this morning after the Liberals' disastrous Super Saturday result. Now, despite many polls and pundits saying that history would be made and for the first time in 98 years a sitting government would win a seat in a by-election from the opposition, it did not happen. No, none of the seats changed hands. Labor retained all four seats. The Liberals lost all three that they stood in and Centre Alliance managed to retain Mayo. Nathan Quigley tweeted, every dual citizen MP who was kicked out and recontested has now been re-elected. Does anyone out there now still think Section 44 is not ridiculous and completely redundant in today's Australia? So what was the point? Was this all a waste of millions of dollars? Uh, look, it was a great night for the Labor Party, Bill Shorten, and of course their campaign messaging of hospitals over banks. But it was a bloodbath for the Liberals. They went backwards in Mayo. They went backwards in Longman. They went backwards in Braddon. And it looks like the next thing on the chopping block could be the company tax cut. So how did things go so wrong for Malcolm Turnbull? He's been MIA for the last 24 hours, but he's finally now doing a press conference as we speak and we'll tell you what he said a little bit later on in the show. But we have a huge show for you this morning. In a few minutes I'll be speaking with New South Wales Labor Senator Doug Cameron to find out if after last night's results we can finally put leadership rumours to rest about Bill Shorten and Anthony Albanese. But first up in the studio this morning I am joined by the Guardian Australia's political reporter Amy Ramikas. Amy, good morning. Good morning. Former Labor Senator Sam Dastiari. Thanks for coming in, Sam. Thank you. Ben Rowie, who is an electoral analyst from uh, tallyroom.com. Ben, thanks for coming in. Hello. And Evan Mulholland, who is now with the IPA, but a former Liberal staffer. Thanks for joining us. G'day. Now, uh, I think this tweet from Barry Cassidy sums up how everyone's feeling this morning. He said, the media spent 90% of its pre-poll analysis predicated on Labor losing at least one seat. What a waste of your time. Amy, how did everyone get it so wrong? I think everyone got it so wrong because the political parties got it wrong too. I mean, these by-elections, nobody knew what was happening. And to be fair, there were a lot of people saying nobody knows what is going to happen. And in, in Longman in particular, which was the one of the main focuses, because that's the one where they were like, you know, if class warfare doesn't work here, it's not going to work anywhere. This That was the one where everyone was like, if Bill Shorten loses Longman, like he's done. And then I've, I got some numbers on just how much Labor reacted to that. I mean, Longman has 140,000 voters. The Labor Party made 73,000 phone calls wow. in that electorate. That's half. And they door knocked on just under 36,000 doors. That is huge. There were 10,000 phone calls and door knocks done on the last day alone. So the media wasn't alone in thinking where, you know, mm. that this is going to go wrong. The parties did too. And that was a big, big push for where we were getting all that information from. Yeah. We'll get to Longman in a second. But Sam, Labor really did think that they were going to lose a seat uh, last night, didn't they? Well, yes. Yeah, so firstly, by the way, I, I love it how, like, when political parties give you numbers on how much they door knocked and how hard they work, it's like asking members of parliament, oh, how hard? Oh, I do like an 80 hour week. <laughs> so can we just, firstly, I think we need to call out the bullshit of what happened this morning, though. Like, you put out that we were doing this at 11. The Prime Minister holds a press conference at 11. Now, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Now, I think yeah. no, the PM's media people are definitely going to be watching this. They actually will. We know that for sure. Because um, they're going to wait for one of us to say something stupid, probably me. And um, 
But I think that they need to be called out for holding a press conference at the same time just to try and tread on kind of BuzzFeed yeah, and, and tread on you. Like, it's, it is this big media conspiracy. Yeah, it is. Classic Turnbull move. Classic Turnbull. Yeah, it's a I power know. move. Okay, well, first... Says nothing <laughs> until your show starts. Yeah, Malcolm Turnbull, if you are watching, you can use the hashtag BFOzPoll. Uh, we won't get back to you. Now, first, we'll go to Longman, um, where obviously Susan Lamb has retained the seat. Our reporter, Josh Taylor, was in Caboolture last night at her election victory party, and he filed this report this morning from Brisbane. Hi, I'm Josh Taylor reporting for BuzzFeed News up in Queensland where I've been covering the Longman by-election for the past few days. This was Malcolm Turnbull's by-election to lose. This was the one that was supposed to be the closest. It had been an LNP seat for most of uh, the past few decades, but, uh, you know, Labor managed to hold on. It was uh, an unexpected win, even though oppositions traditionally win uh, the seats. It was... Uh, it seemed as though that Malcolm Turnbull's message about, you know, stopping Bill Shorten and, and you know, whatever mess, political message they were trying to get through just didn't cut through, whereas Labor was able to, to get by on campaigning on uh, hospital care and everything like that and not uh, tax cuts for big businesses. And I think it's interesting when you go around the seat of Longman because it's quite a diverse electorate. There's about 160,000 people here. It's a mixture of, you know, regional town, coastal, you've got Bribey Island there, you've got the retirees, you've got all these new housing developments going up. So it's not really sort of an electorate that you can get a real sense on it. But one thing that did strike me when I was driving around was just the amount of advertising. And I think that this is a portent for what we're going to see at the federal election because, uh, you know, just on the sheer amount of advertising, not just Labor, but the government and One Nation, it was all very negative. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this negative campaigning. One interesting thing that I uh, noticed was, you know, everyone was focused on the One Nation vote. The One Nation vote was supposed to be uh, the reason why Labor wasn't going to pick it up because Susan Lamb was relying on uh, One Nation preferences to get in last time. Uh, One Nation did have a very strong vote, but people will be wondering, could it have been higher if Pauline Hanson had not gone on that uh, European cruise over the past few days, if she'd actually been in the electorate. It was very amusing to see a lot of the cardboard cutouts, but I just don't think it was the same thing. Another thing that uh, is worth looking at is that some volunteers I spoke to said that they were basically just campaigning in the electorate for uh, to shore up Malcolm Turnbull's leadership. And I think in one way this possibly might, because, because the Labour vote was quite strong and, and Labour actually gained a lot of ground on, on the LNP in this seat, uh, Peter Dutton, whose seat is adjacent to Longman, uh, will probably be a little bit worried about what this means for him and, and his ultra-marginal seat uh, in Queensland, and, and you know maybe that might, uh, you know, prevent any future leadership aspirations, at least for the time being. For BuzzFeed News, I'm Josh Taylor. Back to you, Alice. Now, Ben, the big story here is the massive fall in the Liberals' primary vote. Uh, they, uh, what, what do you account for how things went so badly for, for the Liberals in Queensland? Well, I think the first thing to note is that if you look at the national polls that we've been getting for the last couple of years, they largely fit with what happened in Longman. Like Longman probably was a bit of an exaggerated effect, but the Liberal Party has been, has been down in the polls. They've been in, on, in a losing position pretty much for most of the last term. Uh, One Nation's vote has been up since the last federal election. Um, and so, in a sense, you, if you just look at those national polls, you would have expected Labor to win and possibly increase their majority a bit. Uh, but we had these local polls that were telling us something different. 
Now, Amy, you uh, were quite critical of the polling. You, you said that maybe some blow-in people were getting the results wrong because they weren't Queensland locals and didn't know how to read the ground. Well, I mean, I think there is a big problem and it's, I'm not commenting on any, anyone in particular. This is a worldwide problem where we have uh, political journalists going into areas that they don't know, they don't understand, and more often than not, they will get the story that meets their bias or their, you know, whatever stereotype that they've got going into it because they're, you know, they go to general areas and they seek out the usual suspects or the most colourful characters. And I think we saw a lot of that around the country and we see that every election. We saw that during the Trump election in particular. We saw a lot of New York Times reporters go into the Midwest and explain the Midwest in a way that didn't actually explain the Midwest. And I think though with single seat polls in particular, the political parties didn't spend a lot of their own money and research into polling because they're bubkis. They do not ever give you... polling isn't accurate. It, it doesn't right. ever give you a result. So we had a lot of media polls that were being done saying, oh, it's 50-50, it's this, it's this, and that's happening, which then drove the narrative that, you know, it was super close, Bill Shorten's leadership was under threat, which then got everyone really excited who wants Bill Shorten's leadership to be under threat. And then we saw all this play out, and then, lo and behold, Susan Lamb wins on primary. Mm. Evan, what's the takeaway here? The, the Liberals have, bred, have bled uh, votes to Labor, but they've also bled them to the right to One Nation here. Do you think that they're going to have to reassess their campaign strategies this morning? I think uh, the One Nation political party can't be written off as some sort of fly-by-night Clive Palmer type party. I think the Liberal Party is going to have to take stock and see what they can do to actually um, engage with these voters. I think the campaign style in Longman was um, very, very bad. You can't say you're the anti-Shorten party and Shorten's for higher taxes and this is what we're doing on hospitals. You have to be for something. And the government just wasn't for anything. It wasn't saying well, what for, it was for. for company tax cuts, aren't but they? But they weren't talking about that. They just passed a massive income tax cut bill, but I didn't hear anything about income tax cuts on the campaign trail. They didn't go into every pub and saying, everyone's going to be better off because of our income tax cuts. They went into every pub and talked about how they're spending more money on hospitals. Like, Yes, you're countering Labor's campaign in mm. saying Bill Shorten's for higher taxes, but you've got yeah. to be for something. And yeah, well, the main messaging was that Bill Shorten lies, and that obviously didn't play on the ground, did it? Well, no, I don't think so. Look, by the way, but this whole Bill Shorten like, lies thing, that, uh, politicians, no one likes politicians. Like, I can tell as a former politician, now that I'm really loved, right? <laughs> <laughs> Why is everyone loved? But before when I wasn't loved, mm. right, as a politician, you know, no one likes politicians. So this whole, you know, don't like a politician, everyone hates politicians anyway. I don't, I don't understand that message. Political parties do it all the time. By the way, on the actual kind of commentary around all of this, yeah. like it was just so shit, right? It was just hopeless. Like the Australian commentary around, like Australian as in Australian media, Australian as well, but Australian media more broadly is kind of commentary around everything. It's all, what's that saying? Um, um, uh, it's fur coat, no knickers. Right, like it's just this superficial, quick. You've heard this term, haven't you? No, you've never heard that before. No, it's this no. idea that things are superficially like it's that superficial once over, but there's not actually anything kind of done. The second you start digging into it, the Australian coverage, media coverage around these by-elections is this. So what are they? They they, get, they catch the kind of um, the issue of the week, right? Mm. So suddenly it becomes it's a really close. So now we're going to have we had two ridiculous weeks of Bill Shorten's leadership's under threat. Yeah, right, which was. Anyone who knew anything was that bullshit to begin with, right? Well, no, 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 that's yeah, not true. No, 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 Those no, conversations no. were yeah. happening. Hear me out, hear me out. And then you end up, and then the cycle turns, and then it'll be uh, a month of um, oh, Malcolm Turnbull's now under threat. Yeah. And then, then there'll be ALP National Conference. They'll say, this is the test for Bill's leadership. Like, we have gone through these cycles, 
of Bill and Malcolm being under threat, back and forth. But that doesn't mean that those conversations about leadership weren't happening within the Labor Party because they were. And I think that you'd be it'd be wrong to come out and say all oh, those stories written were no, false. No, 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 no. They weren't no, false. No, no, but it goes back to what Amy was saying before, which is not only is it what happens out there in electorates, it's what happens in Canberra, right? And are, do politicians always sit around and bitch about other politicians? Yep. And as a general rule, does the 150 members of the lower house all feel that they should be the person who is Prime Minister of Australia? Broadly, yes. Right? That's just a general point, right? Yeah. Um, some of them weren't as grounded as people like me. Um, so again, stop laughing at me, Evan. Um, but they, they, What's the weather like in opposite world? They call, no, no, but those conversations happen anyway, right? Yeah. So I'm saying the good journalism is turn around and say, the endless, yeah, can you find sources at any point in time who are going to say Abbott should return, um, that, you know, Albo should be leader, that Bill this, that Malcolm this, all those people are always there, right? Mm. I think sometimes to, for the sake of the bubble narrative of Canberra becomes everyone piles onto this one narrative mm. and everyone piles onto another. And Amy, just following on from what you said, just as they do that sometimes in the seats, I think they do that in a weird way, the Canberra bubble itself does that as well. And everyone kind of, and that's what Barry Cassidy was pretty much saying, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a thing that's been going on for years, right? Like every parliamentary term until now, we, for the last decade, the last prime minister to last a whole term was John Howard. Like we, this, and it doesn't seem like it's just in the media. I mean, I think part of it is it's an easy it's an easy cop out when you have problems that you go, well, maybe if we change the leader, maybe if we shake that up. Like it doesn't seem to me like that's solely a problem in the and media. This whole narrative led to Malcolm Turnbull not meeting expectations. He came out and said, yes, he said, oh, governments don't win by elections. But he then also said, on the back of all these polls being close, it's a test between me and Shorten. It's mm -hmm. me and Shorten. I don't think this. Um, this policy campaign they, the government have of having no policy differences between government and opposition and making it a personality contest is going to work. People want policy and people elect governments um, that implement good policies. So they don't elect personalities. And if you want to, I think if you want to look at the main lesson for the Liberal Party from this, and they've been told it time and time again with the states, is that you cannot bring one nation under your tent because it legitimises them and it gives them your primary vote and it doesn't come back. That, that vote is going back to Labor, and Labor learnt this with the Greens. They tried like bringing them in, cozying them up, and just saw that absolutely destroy their primary vote in progressive seats. So they've turned around, they've gone, you know what? No, we're separate political parties. We have disagreements. We don't agree with them on XYZ. They are not part of us. And it's worked. You've seen that, that claw back there. Whereas the government, the Liberal Party, keeps trying to think, oh, if we can appeal to One Nation voters, if we can cozy up and just go Pauline Hanson not so bad, then that's going to work for us. It didn't work in WA, it didn't work in Queensland, and it didn't work in Longman, and it won't work for the federal election. So is the moral here, uh, Pauline Hanson is on the other side of the world, One Nation's vote goes up? Is that is that their future election <laughs> well, strategy? Well, there were 50, 50 Pauline Hanson. <laughs> they had these giant, we saw them in that package, there's these like yeah. giant, like, that is like, they are, that is like, that's one step away from like this blow up kind of, that's, that's the next thing is going to be this kind of, but they are awesome. They are going to be, I'm telling you now, mm. they are right now, because there's no way the One Nation people have packed these up properly, right? <laughs> they are going to be appearing in the weirdest, craziest places. Like there is like an internet phenomenon waiting to happen of crazy Pauline Hanson like cutouts appearing in, in different places. <laughs> And you know, the rest, anyone who's run a political campaign with a political leader sees that and shits themselves. Because you can just imagine how much both Malcolm and Bill are like, 
Why isn't there giant me's right now? <laughs> a giant like Turnbull and shortened baby balloons just floating yeah, over electorates now. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so the question from Longman is, is company tax cuts, I mean, they've come out this morning and said, yeah, we'll try and reintroduce them in the spring and we're trying to pass them through, but they're pretty much dead, aren't they? Such a popular policy, obviously. <laughs> it's worked out so well for them every single step of the way. But like, as what Evan said, like if they don't hold on to that, then what on earth does this government no stand for? What do they stand for? Yeah. I, I think it, it, if they do drop them, which I don't think they will, it would be similar to Kevin Rudd dropping the ETS. Like you've gone to the election with this, you've been with it the whole way through. Mm. And there's good policy reasons to do it. We're the third highest um, tax com uh, country in the OECD. Um, and it's built off on this narrative. Labor pursues the narrative and Sam and others really, really well that you know big business and whatnot aren't paying their fair share of tax. It's something like 0.33% of the top companies between 2011 and 16 paid 63% of all tax, something like $250 billion. That's a lot of hospitals and schools and whatnot. And yeah. you know the business council are now finally getting off their backside and going from town to town to get this message across. Um, but the Liberal Party is not doing it. They're not putting it in digestible forms where they can actually prosecute the case. Mm. I remember Matthias Cormann saying that this by-election was a referendum on company tax cuts. Everyone else seems to have forgotten that he said that. Uh, that's the bit that, just on that, right, this is the bit that blows me away with it, right? This is just the, the strategy behind it. It was all Labor's problems, mm. right? So at the end of the day, Labor was the only one going into this with anything to lose. These were seats that Labor held anyway, mm. right? That, you know, it was all upside for the government in a way. So these were held Labor seats that Labor had to contest, apart from Mayo, but they weren't holding it anyway. So there was no government skin in this at any point in time, right? Now, the narrative that no government has won a seat from opposition, I think there's 100 years, or we've got the expert here, oh, okay. right? 100 years or so, so they had that narrative, yep. right? The, the bit that I find the bit most amazing about it is why you would then put any skin in it, right? At a kind of, not in the campaign sense, you know, you say we've got great candidates, you know, Big Trev or whoever, and you know, we're running good candidates and, you know, we're running good people and we're going to give it a go. But the whole expectation management, see, I, I don't know what their internal research must have been telling them, because the ALP internal research, I saw it all, right? Um, it was what the published polls were saying, which is it's all pretty tight, too close to call, which in the end, I don't have this in the final results, was it that far from margin of error? Uh, I mean, it's. It's typical for a, for a seat poll in that they, they, they do have large margins of error. Uh, but Longman, like, Longman in the end being 55, I think is a bit of a difference to a lot of, like the, the polls for Longman tended to be LNP in front for 51, 53. So you're talking like a six to 8% margin. Anyone error. who's worked on political campaigns, campaigns will tell you, um, the usual swing is about 4% against the government. So whatever the, um, margin will be at the general election, minus 4% off the government. Um, I think Turnbull made the same mistake he did in 2016 with having a long campaign. If it had been four weeks from when um, those uh, resignations happened, I think the scenario might have been a lot different, but they gave people more time to, gave Labor more time to campaign, gave people more time to think about it, and people and had forgotten Labor enough that time to cancel their, uh, yeah, the national, their national conference. Exactly, exactly. And it, it, it made people forget that it's it was Labor's fault we went to these by-elections. Mm. They weren't talking about the fact that it was Bill Shorten's fault the by-elections were happening until the last couple of days. They could have done that within a four-week targeted way and had them over and done with. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, let's take a closer look now at Braddon. BuzzFeed reporter Lane Sainty was down in Davenport last night at Justin Kay's election victory party, despite the fact that Liberal uh, Brett Whiteley seems to still not have a conceded defeat in, in the seat. We're pretty confident that, that Labor's got this one in the bag. This is uh, the report that Lane filed for us last night. Hi guys, it's Lane Sainty reporting from the electorate of Braddon in northwest Tasmania. Behind me, you can see and probably hear the election party for Labor's Justine Kay. Now there's a lot of happy people here tonight because Justine Kay has won the seat of Braddon. She of course resigned after being caught up in the dual citizenship scandal and in this by-election duked it out against the Liberal candidate Brett Whiteley to return to Parliament. Now, Braddon is one of two crucial elections in this Super Saturday because polling was so close that people thought the government might have a chance of winning the seat back off Labor. But where did it go so wrong for the government? Voters in the coastal cities of Devonport, Ulverstone and Burnie told me that their biggest concerns were health and education, classic Labor issues that the party has been aggressively campaigning on. Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull and Opposition Leader Bill Shorten both came to Devonport on Saturday morning, signalling how important the seat was to both of them. I've already spoken to Bill from uh, Maribel, um, who happens to be Leader of the Opposition, so welcome Bill to, uh, to Devonport Park, right? Bill Shorten was with Justine Kay as she voted at Nixon Street Public School. Meanwhile, Turnbull and Brett Whiteley headed to Alberston High School, where Whiteley did not cast a vote because he doesn't live in the electorate. Brett, are you disappointed you can't add to your vote by voting for yourself? Well, look, I'm out supporting all my volunteers today and uh, I'm in a number of booths today with the Prime Minister helping to uh, uh, support the team, helping to support the ideal situation which will be an election of Brett Whiteley as the next member for Braddon. Thanks, Thanks, you. The biggest issue raised by Braddon voters was health policy. There's a lot of concern about hospitals, waiting lists, the costs of medical care and strain on the health system. Health is a key issue that Labor has campaigned on aggressively in recent years, and Braddon was no different. We have fought this campaign on the issues that matter to the people of Braddon. Those issues have been health. Many voters I spoke to have no faith the Liberals will act on health and hope Labor will do something about it if they win government. I voted for Justine Kay today. Yeah, because I think she's genuinely interested in our health and in the schools. Probably for Tasmania at the moment, um, housing, environment and healthcare are the three major ones pe people talk about as well as job creation. And while some people were angry about the fact that Kay's citizenship debacle meant they had to go back to the polls, others didn't care and it didn't turn out to be the vote killer the Liberals had hoped. The issue with the MPs and the whole citizenship thing yeah, they should have got their paperwork sorted. I feel for them, but, you know, you need to know what you're getting into. My grandfather was uh, an immigrant from Scotland uh, 150 years ago, so <laughs> I don't know how I'd get on. According to former Senator Jackie Lambie, who lives in Burnie, the by-election was 
great for Braddon either way because both major parties promised so much money to the electorate. It has been like Christmas time down here, girlfriend. It is a gift that keeps on giving. We could, we've decided now we wouldn't want another by-election over the next few years. That way, if we missed anything on our asking, uh, we'll come back and uh, have another shot at it. So it has really put Braddon on the map, and I think that's been good for the people, even though we moaned about having a by-election. Labor's win comes off the back of preferences from local fisherman Craig Garland, who ran an anti-politician alternative to the two major parties sort of campaign. And there was a swing against the Labor and Liberal parties and a swing towards Garland, indicating that disappointment with the major parties here in Braddon. But it's still a big win for Labor, and given how many people are speculating about a loss for Labor in Braddon tonight, Bill Shorten will be heaving a huge sigh of relief at the victory. This is Lane Sainty reporting from the Alveston Surf Life Saving Club in Braddon. Now, Ben, should the Liberals be upset with their primary result? They came out ahead in first preferences, uh, but they still managed to lose a seat. Well, I mean, we're, we're not in a first-past-the-post system here. Like, in the end, it's about your preferences. Mm. And, you know, there's lots of places where the Labor Party has a lower primary vote, but they win because they attract more preferences. And that's, that's what happened in Braddon. Like, in the end, it was about that 2PP. And uh, yeah, the Liberals, the Liberals were a bit stronger than Labor on the primary, but all those other voters, a big chunk of the electorate that voted for someone else, uh, favoured Labor and that helped them hold on basically with a pretty much steady result. Mm, but they were helped out by Craig Garland, the Independent, who got a staggering primary vote of 11%. Yeah, so I mean, he, he ran in the state election earlier this year and his vote was mostly concentrated in the northwest of the northwest, like the rural areas, the fishing towns. He did particularly well there, and uh, you know that vote in the in the the northwest corner of the electorate, he polled over twenty percent. Like he did very well in yeah, those booths. So he did very he did very well in the seat, and I think having another yeah having another go might be worth it for him. But it must have been that endorsement from the Jackie Lambie party that got him over the line. Um, Amy, should he take this extraordinary result from last night? and maybe run for the Senate in the next federal election? Look, I think he can do whatever he wants. He can choose to run in the state election if he wants. He can choose mm. to go in the Senate. I mean, Tasmania has shown us it likes independence. Like, yeah. it's shown us. And Tasmania has also shown us, like, a really good example of how much it hates when the major parties beat up on its independence. They'll yeah. vote for an independent out of spite if they think it's being bullied by a major party. And Erica Betts's intervention in the Tasmania election by saying, oh, but he's been charged with this this time ago remember that was the greatest thing that possibly could have happened mm. for Craig Garland who spent nothing on his campaign and all of a sudden was getting blanket media coverage like uh, Bill Shorten was being asked if he should take preferences from him Malcolm Turnbull was being asked about him and all it looked like was you know the big bully coming down on the guy who'd been fighting for the local fishing industry who had been saying things aren't right here and he got change in the state election like that's another thing that we forget in these local contests is that the communities know who these people are and I know we'll talk about Mayo late, later but that's Rebecca Sharkey's another perfect example of that they know who these people are so when somebody comes in and starts going oh they're not that great they're actually like well you know what like who are you Kanye like why why are you talking to us like this no you're wrong Kanye reference in for them yeah why not um okay right. so uh Sam Evan I want to ask about Mediscare which was it was a mini Mediscare Mediscare 2.0 that was run uh in this campaign that the Liberals seem to have announceables for the first four weeks they're nothing in the last two, Labor kind of came out in the last two weeks pushing this health agenda. Yeah. What I mean, yeah, it uh, works. Like it's really effective. Yeah. 
So that's why they're doing it. Yeah, of course. Like, well, it's it's a political campaign. They do it because it works. Right? Like, and I know that like the government, and this is kind of surprised me because I thought they were over it. At the last federal, no, 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 no. At the last, oh, wait, they were over you running a Medicare campaign. No, or? At the last federal election, right, yes, you had Malcolm come out afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, on election night, you know, like what one a.m. when he's kind of you know angry, Malcolm uh, kind of he's kind of rant. You know, came out. I think what time he came out? He came it was out twelve or twelve thirty. Yeah, because yeah. he had to come out because the city lockout laws. If he didn't come out like within thirty minutes, he wouldn't have been able to get into where his speech was. That's actually a fact. He wouldn't have been able to get into the hotel because the bar. The bar. Oh, okay. I just made that fact up. You, bought, you bought it. You bought I it. I think that was true, but <laughs> sure. About that area and the locals there, they really like all their local issues, you know, the fishery stuff and other mm. things like local hospital, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the fact you had all these, yeah, the PM down every second day, you had all these ministers down, doesn't really matter much. They want a local MP who's focused on local door-to-door issues, not sort of the big picture stuff. And so if someone can say, we're going to do better at the local hosp- with the local hospital than the other mob, then that's going to, that's going to win votes. It just works. Like running, on medis- like medi- like, you know, running on this kind of Medicare and that for the Labor Party is incredibly effective. Just Even as- though they're not true? Ju- well, I think they are true. But well, the not, conservatives- it's not true to say... No, no, hang on, hang on, hang it's hang not true to say that the government will sell Medicare. Have that debate with Doug. They won the last right? election. They've got a mandate ha- for it. They ha- should go ahead and... Ha- <laughs> have that debate with Doug. But... Um, that principle, uh, campaigns are tough. I mean, I've been through so many campaigns. Remember those famous kind of, we will decide who comes here in the circumstances in which they come. I saw the Conservatives rip apart Gillard in campaigns, mm. ripped apart Kevin. Um, yeah, it's a really, really tough business. Stakes are high. Uh, look, I'm, the bit that surprised me about it is the the posturing afterwards, which is, oh, how terrible, how this and that. Yeah, political campaigns are really, really tough, and you run what works. So you're and saying Medicare works. You'll keep running. Medicare Well, look, I mean, running. I don't run the Labor Party campaign anymore. I mean, they do their own thing. I'm, I'm not really part of that anymore. But if I was them, I'd definitely run it. I'd run it harder. Like, it works. Why wouldn't you run it harder? And this one wasn't, we're gonna, they're going to sell Medicare. This one was, they've cut funding to yeah. hospitals. And the thing yeah. was, they were both right. Yes, health funding has increased. It always increases. The population does. You can always say every single year, record funding for health. But it didn't increase by as much as they said that it might before 2014. And this is the ghost of Tony Abbott still coming out. That that budget in 2014, which slashed health and uh, education future spending so that it's not going up by as much as they promised that it would go up by, gives Labor all of the latitude in the world to say, well, you would have got an extra $240 million there and you're not getting it because they're slashing health. And it works because people believe that that's what the Liberal Party would do. And they can say it's a cut because it's just not as steady as increases mm-hmm. before. And you've mm. got people like Abbott you know, complaining about funding for Catholic schools when he cut way more for Catholic schools than what the, the Gonski arrangements are going on. But I think that was also a huge issue both in Braddon and in Longman. Yeah, mm. last week. Mm. Okay, well, we'll be talking about Mayo and WA in just a moment. In a second, I'll be joined by New South Wales Labor Senator Doug Cameron. But first, here is Brad Esposito with Talking Memes. Hi, I'm Brad Esposito. I'm a reporter with BuzzFeed Australia. And today we are talking memes with our very own Lane Sainty. Um, she works out of the Sydney office covering crime and courts and also has a very sturdy diet of memes. Lane, thank you so much for coming in today. Happy to be at work, Brad. Excellent. So, Lane, what has the quality of memes been like in these by-elections? Brad, I regret to say it's been very poor. Poor indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we'll start with this effort from Helen Polly, who uh, has created this meme targeting Brett Whiteley uh, and it's got something to do with Sonny Sombrero? 
Yeah, so we've got this from Helen Polly. It's another baffling meme from a serial poster, I think, um, which at first glance seems confusing and potentially racist. Um, let's just take a look at it. It says, help keep this amigo out of Canberra. It is all about priorities. Justine Key chooses everyday Tasmanians and the Liberals choose the big end of town. Hashtag Ospol, hashtag Politas. And then we've got an image of a sombrero uh, or potentially a coloured straw hat. It's slightly hard to tell, but it's meant to be in a sombrero. And it says, Sonny Sombrero is happy in Canberra without Brett Whiteley. Now, what is going on here? There's actually a coherent story behind this meme. And that is that at the 2013 election, there were three Liberal MPs voted in, Andrew Nikolic, Eric Hutchinson and Brett Whiteley. Now, they nicknamed themselves the, the three amigos, I suppose, because they're friends or, you know, something along those lines. And they all lost their seats in 2016. Now, this election, we had Brett Whiteley contesting the seat of Braddon against Justine Key. So what Polly is trying to say in this meme is that she does not want Whiteley, the amigo she refers to in the meme, to return to Canberra because she would prefer her colleague, Justine Key. But Lane, who is Sonny Sombrero? I, I have no idea, Brad. Right, okay. Mm -hmm. There's also, we should point out, this Microsoft Word squiggly line under without. It does look like that, doesn't it? It, it is a bit unclear whether she's trying to, um, I suppose, you know, give effect to that word or whether it is actually a Microsoft Word mishap Helen yeah. Polly has encountered here. Yeah, but, you, you know. think it's not hard. Right click and just add to dictionary <laughs> in the future. Who can say? Anyway. Let's move on to Mark Latham, the former Labor leader and would-be Prime Minister of Australia. Uh, this is out of Labor's meme goldmine, the meme on the hill. It's a Facebook group and it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, so taking a look at this meme, we've got Mark Latham, you know, standing in his, his arms crossed pose. It's got Mark Latham Outsiders, which is the name of his kind of a media brand, let's call it. Um, and underneath that, the quote, which is partially obscured, it says, I won't be silenced, which I think Mark Latham has made extremely clear, would you say, Brad? Yes, yeah, I'd agree. He will not be silenced. Um, and across in a kind of Snapchat style, there's the caption, I'm a dumb idiot and my old party hates me. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that you can get much more to the point than that, Brad. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely to the point. It's a very literal meme. Right, so let's move on to One Nation and Pauline Hanson. Her team has been scuppering out some pretty fascinating memes, like this one uh, targeting Susan Lamb. You know, I actually think this is a strong meme from One Nation. Um, the Photoshop work is solid. It's very obviously that poster. You know, it's, you can tell it's Susan Lamb. It's a striking Certainly. image. The analogy that it draws, though, Brad, is slightly confusing. How and so? Well, the first reply to this meme on Twitter is, so does this make you Hannibal Lecter? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a good effort, though, from, from Pauline Hanson, yeah, I would say. A good effort. Mm. The coalition itself has been rather quiet on the meme front, guessing they're probably pretty busy. But there was this effort on the coalition media Twitter account. Lane, what are we dealing with here? So this one, and this is actually one of my favourite meme efforts to come out of this election. So I'll just hold it up here. So, um, what they've done here is they've done a classic zoom in on somebody looking unimpressed in the background of a press conference, which is a very classic, you know, kind format. of meme tweet. Yeah, it's a classic format. But what they've done is instead of putting all of these images in the one tweet, which is the kind of traditional way that you would execute this kind of um, political meme, they've done it in subsequent replies to the tweet. So one has to sort of scroll down and open multiple tweets in order to, to get the joke. So, you know, I can't quite decide if it's actually an innovative and agile use of political memory or um, if it's just bad. But, you know, that's it's another good effort from Coalition Media. I look, to, look forward to seeing more of their stuff in the future. Yeah, yeah. Finally, Lane, I have heard that you've taken great interest in a recent meme surrounding everyone's favourite adjective-adjacent candidate in these by-elections, Big Trev Rutenberg. 
That's right, Brad. Big Trev. The LNP's candidate in the Queensland seat of Longman, he entered the national news cycle when it was revealed that he had put on his CV that he won the Australian Service Medal when he had actually won the Australian Defence Medal, which is very different. Now, this gave rise to a lot of people posting online images of him winning other things that he had not in fact won. So we've got this one um, put out by Bill Shorten's media team. Big Trev wins the gold Logie, you know, bad Photoshop, but you know, good good execution, yeah. a lot of traction on this meme. So yeah. good effort there from Shorten's And hashtag team. big fraud, hashtag Ozpol. Yeah, big oh, fraud, hashtag Ozpol, yep. So yeah, that is the Big Trev meme. But Brad, I have a bone to pick here. Malcolm Turnbull defended Big Trev over this whole metal issue by saying that he is as honest as he is big. But how big is Big Trev? I googled this question, how big is Big Trev? And I did not get an answer. So looking at some photos here, we've got one of him standing next to Peter Dutton and he doesn't look that big. Mm. Um, but here's one of him standing next to Julie Bishop looks quite big. So I suppose, Brad, the takeout here is that Big Trev is as honest as whoever's standing next to him. Indeed, that is some great analysis. Well, Lane, it was great having you in here for Talking Memes. I'll let you do the honours. Back to you, Alice. Labor Senator Doug Cameron, thanks so much for joining us this morning. What is Alice? Now, you must be pretty happy with last night's result. Ecstatic. It's a great result and it really shows that uh, Labor are really the alternative government in this country. Did you think you'd win so easily? I, last night people were saying we wouldn't even have results until later today. Well, I didn't think we'd win so easily. You know, this, this was a tough election campaign. We were behind and thankfully, you know, Turnbull made another dumb call to run the campaign for so long mm. and allowed us to get our message out there, get it out clear and actually turn things around. Now, a lot of voters that we spoke to yesterday were pretty frustrated about having to go to these by-elections. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this was a big waste of taxpayers' money that, I mean, is the Labor Party's <laughs> fault? It was four of your yeah. candidates were the reason that we had to have these by-elections. Well, what about New England and Benelong? Whose fault was that? Well, they, I mean, were the, I mean, they were the candidates I mean, this, in those seats was, that were dual citizens. I mean, this was an issue that nobody expected. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's how it worked out. And we've been in an election. Malcolm Turnbull said that this was about his leadership. And I agree. This is about his leadership. He's a weak leader. He's a jelly-backed leader. He's got no capacity to lead this company, country effectively. And I, I wish he'd go in an election right now. Take it right to an election now and let's test all his so-called policies. Well, I mean, I imagine they're probably not going to go to an, to an election next year, but are you yeah. calling for a liberal spill, Doug Cameron? Oh, look, I think there, there might be a liberal spill. I think the odds are higher and higher. How can Malcolm Turnbull, uh, you know, say this is about his leadership, it doesn't pick up one seat, and then he says, well, it's not about my leadership today. Mm. I mean... This guy is a real flip-flop, I've got to tell you. Well, he did say that this was a, a, a referendum on leadership, his leadership, your leader, Bill Shorten's leadership. Yeah. Will this result finally put an end to any rumour that the Labor Party will have any leader other than Bill Shorten before the next election? Probably not, because News Limited, News Limited will run every rumour they can to try and attack Bill Shorten and attack the but Labor Party. from your Party. point of view, Bill Shorten's the From my point of the view, there was, never, there was never a serious... Uh, position within the caucus. I mean, I was there mm. during the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd period. Mm. Lots of the backbenchers, lots of the frontbenchers were there during that. We know how damaging it is. 
we were always very, very tight in relation to the leader. Uh, I support Bill Shorten. Albo's my mate, great guy Albo. We are just so lucky we've got so many good, good politicians in Labour. But if Albo came to you and said, Doug, I'm thinking maybe this is my last shot at leadership, would you say, no, we're, we're sticking with Bill? Albo wouldn't do that. Albo said that he's a team player. Albo okay. has said Albo, that he's there. Team player, no leadership yep. spills. Yep. Uh, so as well as being a referendum on leadership, the government also said this was a referendum on company tax cuts. Yes. You're in the Senate. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the only pieces of legislation that they have for the spring agenda. Do you think that they will try and put it up to a vote or, or just try and scurl it away? Well, if they don't put it up to a vote, I think it's a huge problem for the Liberal Party. What policies have they got? All they have is trickle-down economics. I mean, first of all, they said they wanted to increase the GST. Then they said they wanted to give taxing powers to the states. Then, and before that, they had the austerity budget. Now they're on trickle-down economics. They are, they are economic illiterates, this mob. Mm. Absolutely economic illiterates. Do you think that from what you've, from what Labor people heard on the ground, that uh, the Labor campaign of hospitals over over banks over big companies getting tax cuts is that the messaging that was coming through in the exit polls? Well, I I don't know what the exit polls were saying, but I was in Longman twice and I was in Braddon twice, and I didn't get any feeling that our candidates were under the pump. All our policies were, were received well with people I spoke to. I did some uh, telephone calls, you know, we did, did them everywhere. But the telephone calls and the, the response I got was great. You know, that Labour had the policies, coalition don't have any policies, mm. handing over money to the big end of town, that is not going to work. But what were the issues that people were talking to you about? Uh, health, yeah. uh, education, housing is, a, is another key issue. Uh, the, a, a, you know, all the issues, the TAFE system, you know, rebuilding the TAFE system, these are things that are practical policies that support working class and middle class Australians. Mm. Well, on health, uh, the Labor ran a, a smaller version of, of the last election campaign's Medicare. Uh, it was about the Liberals cutting funding to health and, and that was one of the big Labor issues. Is this Labor's strategy from now on to just focus on Labor, won't, Labor will give more funding to health, the Liberals are cutting from health. Well, we didn't run a Medicare campaign. All we had to do was focus on the, on the Liberals' policies. They were cutting funding for Medicare, they were putting a co-payment in, they were attacking other payments in that Medicare system. But it is scaremongering and, around, well, it's around scare, It's not scaremongering. If you look at their policies, you see what they're doing, cutting, cutting funding out of health, cutting funding out of education. These people are just in a completely different planet from ordinary working people in this country. Now, there was a, the, the Labor Party didn't win on, on our first preferencing primary vote in, in Tasmania. Is that something you should be worried about? It is really marginal. People tend to vote differently in by-elections than they do in full federal elections because they're not considering a change of government or a change of prime minister. Is that something that you think you'll be worried about next time around? I, I don't think so because the people of Braddon have, have elected Justine Kay on two occasions now. They're not going to go to a, a federal election and suddenly find that they don't want Justin Kay to be representing them. I think she's very well re uh, respected in that area. That was the feedback I got. Good, hard-working uh, Labour politician with a focus on the key issues that affect working-class people in Braddon. Mm. And uh, I think she'll do even better at the next election. If you were Malcolm Turnbull, uh, when would you be throwing the next election? 
I'd love Malcolm Turnbull to announce an election now. Just show a bit of backbone, Malcolm. No, but Malcolm. if you were Malcolm and you, oh. you were the Liberals, <laughs> well, you'd probably wait until I, May, wouldn't I mean, you? I'd try and make sure we never go to an election again because this guy is going to get belted. You <laughs> but know, then you'd have to go to a referendum to change yeah, the constitution. Yeah, that's maybe. right. You know, look, he will try and, and hold off from an election as long as he possibly can. But that's a big, big challenge for him because I think that the insurrection mm. in his own party... Uh, might beat him to it. <laughs> it was a wait and see for that one. Absolutely. Now, moving on uh, to the investigation into Western Sydney MP Emma Hussar over allegations of workplace bullying and, and misuse of staff. Did you know that the New South Wales Labor were running an investigation into her office? No, I, I didn't. And I just live up the road from Penrith. I mm. live in the lower mountains. I hadn't heard about any um, uh, investigation until it began ran in the media. Anthony Albanese said there was talk though at the New South Wales Labor Conference which was only a few weeks ago yeah. and you didn't hear any any rumors then? No I didn't hear it there either um, you know I uh, you know certainly the, the position uh, is that there's an investigation taking place mm. I think uh, Emma is entitled to due process I'm not close to Emma uh, you know Emma is in the House of Reps I'm in the Senate so they're like two different planets uh, but any time I spoke to her, she was a, you know, a very reasonable, uh, you know, quite a good uh, person to talk to. Other than that, I don't know what's been going on uh, in her office. And I've got to tell you, as a union official for 27 years, someone who stood up for the working class all this time, there is no room for any uh, type of attacks on workers. I just don't accept that. But that this has to go through proper mm. process. Yeah, absolutely. The proper process have to be followed. But if uh, the allegations are upheld, uh, what do you think the party should do? Oh, look, let's see what, what the outcome is. I think one of the, the, the things we need to look at, you know, we've got Simon Birmingham, can't handle his own portfolio out saying that Emma Hussar uh, should be sacked. Well, what's he saying about Michaelia Cash? I mean, I have never seen any bullying like I saw with Michaelia Cash. I have never but seen she anyone. But there aren't allegations that, that she's gone through, Michaelia Cash has gone through over 20 staff in two years and, and that she's potentially misused staff by getting them to babysit her kids inside, outside hours. Well, I'll tell you what I reckon about Michaelia Cash. Okay. You know, I reckon that, that, that she has deliberately set out to plant people in, from the Liberal Party in a key independent uh, government organisations to try and reinforce liberal uh, positions. I think that's worse than uh, you know, having a brawl with your staff. I think that is about attacking democracy. Michaelia Cash is an absolute disgrace. She should not have attacked uh, those young women in Bill Shorten's office the way she did. And if anyone has been guilty of bullying, that is the prime uh, bullying uh, issue that we've seen recently. Michaelia Cash and her awful performance in Senate estimates. Well, you've managed to really turn that question around on me, but, you know, I'll give you a Dixer and Michaelia Cash if you want one. Um, the investigation is still ongoing. The court yeah. case has been pushed back to September. She's still not answering questions. Yeah. Uh, are you going to pursue it again when, when the Senate comes back next month? Oh, absolutely. We are not going to let this go. I mean, I take, I take the view. You see what, what uh, you know, uh, the Liberals are doing both in Treasury and in uh, the Productivity Commission putting their people into places of influence. This is a typical Liberal Party strategy and that's been happened with the Fair Work Ombudsman, it's happened with the, uh, the uh, Registered Organisations Commission, it's happened in the Commission. Uh, so we just think that this is a big attack on democracy and we will continue 
uh, to pursue Michaelia Cash. Absolutely. But isn't the bigger question here that you can't get answers out of ministers at Senate estimates? Yep. What, how can you, I mean, you've tried to force her. She won't answer the questions. What can you do from here on well, in? Well, once this federal police investigation is completed, she's got, no, she's got no reason why she can't answer questions. In fact, she should have been asking, answering questions anyway. So I'm calling on the federal police to, to actually, you know, pick up their productivity and get this thing mm. resolved. Well, I'm sure they're watching. Uh, Australian Federal Police, you've got my number, yeah. apparently. Um, so New South Wales Senator Doug Cameron, thanks so much yeah. for joining us. Good on you. Great day. Fantastic. What's up fam, it's your girl Michelle, and I know it's been a while since I've done a Millennial Minute, but I've been busy thinking about, you know, everything else other than politics. So basically, a by-election happened on the weekend, and I'm about to give you the tea on everything that happened. So strap on in. Look, I'ma be real with you, I don't give a f about voting. It feels like we vote all the damn time, and it's always on a weekend. You think I wanna be spending all my spare time walking down to the local primary school to vote? I think the f not. Honestly, it doesn't even matter who I vote for anyway, because politicians just kick out who they want whenever they want. Hello, Julia Gillard, but that's not my business. Like, politics is a mess. The only reason we're even doing this shit is because of the whole citizenship drama. Like, with Barnaby Joyce being a Kiwi and having to resign, and then Amber Heard dragging him because of the whole dog drama. Huh, <laughs> tea. Anyway, I know it's a stupid rule that you can't be in Aussie Parliament if you're a citizen in another country and all, but seriously? Y'all really made people go and waste their weekend to vote because of it? Damn, that's cold. Even though five places had to vote, everyone really only cared about Queensland and Tassie. Long story short, it was all pretty confusing. Honestly, I'm still confused now. Of course, there was some drama with people being British. There was some shit about medals. Some man named Big Trev was there and Pauline Hanson showed up. Look, I don't know. All I know is everyone cared about the news polls and I cared about the drama because your girl loves drama. But apparently it's all important because there's going to be a federal election soon and the politicians were using this weekend as a trial run. Look, before y'all start coming for me, I already know this was longer than a minute, but there was too much drama to contain into one. So I guess uh, I'll see y'all next year for the election. Oh, but Malcolm, only slide into my DMs if you're willing to spend that mansion money because your girl needs some new shoes. See ya! And we're back on Super Sunday Brunch with Amy Ramikas, Evan Mulholland, Ben Rowie and Sam Destiari. Now, quickly, we've got to talk about Mayo. The Downer dynasty failed to get their fourth person elected to federal parliament since Federation. Uh, we uh, sent along BuzzFeed reporter Elfie Scott and she was at Rebecca Sharkey's uh, election night victory party last night. And here is the story she filed for us. Hi guys, I'm here in Mayo in South Australia at Rebecca Sharkey's election night party and as you can imagine there's a huge electric atmosphere because she has just again secured the seat for Mayo. This was a comfortable victory for her and not at all unexpected. While Georgina Downer has suffered quite a dire loss after expecting to be the fourth Downer in federal parliament. This certainly reflects what I saw on the ground today. There was a huge amount of support for Sharkey. And in general, people weren't terribly upset about having to revisit the polls for the by-election. They just wanted to get back out and re-elect her. Um, it was also a huge day for the Greens, who actually secured more votes than Labor. Uh, I think this 
was largely in part to Major Uncle Muji Sumner uh, in regards to his ongoing role in protecting the Adelaide River. There was a lot of environmental policy that the younger voters were attracted to. Uh, so it's actually been an incredible atmosphere all day. People have been really positive and here at the election night party people are getting very excited naturally because this is another huge victory for the Centre Alliance. I wanted my vote to go to Rebecca Sharkey because I want the Liberals to not get in, basically. The dual citizenship, she tried to, you know, get that revoked and it was a bit of a scandal, of course, but I don't, it doesn't faze me at all. It's not a big deal, it takes like five minutes to do, so it's not, not a big hassle now. People know, um, I'm a local, I'm just like everyone else and, uh, and I'm here um, because I want local community representation. I'm Elfie Scott for BuzzFeed News. Ben, has the death of the Nick Xenophon team been greatly exaggerated? Has this shown us that we buried him too soon? Or do you think that now that they are Centre Alliance, she's managed to position herself as not Nick Xenophon? I mean, I do think we did. We, we buried the Nick Xenophon team too soon. Like, the South Australian election wasn't a terrible result. You look at the vote they got, it was a very good voting result for a minor party. Mm. The problem for them was that the vote was very evenly distributed across the state, which tends to be what happens to them. It's great for him when he's running for the Senate, it's great for the state upper house, but it, it's terrible in the lower house. And they just came up against all of these local MPs and their vote was just very evenly spread and probably they could have done a lot better if they concentrated a bit more. But it is, a, it is another question that I think I don't know if the name Centre Alliance is going to do very well, um, but I think probably... But they, picked, they must have picked it for a reason, right? They had a long time to think about what name to pick and they settled with... They could have... They were thinking about SA Best Federal for a while. He did. He had a while to think about the name that he was going to pick and he's still changing that one up, so... I, I, think, <laughs> that, I think they had reasons that weren't necessarily about how effective the name would be. They wanted a name that sounded serious and sounded credible. Right. doesn't mean... Centre. How much thought do you reckon... Oh, the, the, the... Right, OK, yeah. the, the dancing ones. Listen, like once, you've, once you've let that go as your party, I don't think the Centre Alliance <laughs> thing was their worst decision. Okay, Evan, let's talk about Georgina Downer. Why do people hate her so much? Is it because she's a FIFO? What's going she on? Even go here. Uh, I, I, I don't think so. Look, you, you hear this argument a lot that the Liberal Party needs strong, capable, articulate women. In that, in, in Georgina Downer, you have one. You have someone who's had foreign policy experience, been a diplomat in Japan, has a breadth of policy experience, and I believe she just announced she's running again. Mm. I think, um, you know, this time it's very hard to unclog an independent. Um, once people see that she's actually back for good and she's still going around to every community event and whatnot, um, the punters might have a, a second look at, at Georgina. It is very hard to unpick an independent, and, and to do that was a very mammoth task, task from the beginning. But this is a Liberal heartland seat. If the Liberals, I wouldn't if quite say that. It's a funny electorate. Um, you know, when Jamie Briggs ran, the Greens got like 40% or, or But it is worth noting that Georgina Downer did get less of a vote than Jamie Briggs at the last election. Well, that's... And that, we all know that, what everyone thinks about him. That, that, I mean, that's Rebecca Sharkey building on her brand oh, and having, having, having two years to, to build her brand within the community. I think she could have had any name other than Senate Alliance and she would have won as Rebecca Sharkey. I just think South Australia is really parochial. I mean, I've got family there, Mount Gambier girl, and it's just... 
I think when you have somebody, and she was born in England, Georgina Downer was not born in Mayo, she was born in England. Yes, her family has a huge dynasty there, but she went to Victoria. And South Australians have this war going with Victoria, whether Victoria is aware of it or not. It's never a good look for somebody to go, yeah, I went to Melbourne because South Australia wasn't working for me. And she said that publicly. So I don't think she will win at the general election. I don't think Georgina Downer will be, ever be able to win Mayo. I'm not saying she's not a capable candidate. I just don't think Mayo is the seat for her. I mean, we'll see in 2017, um, or the, whenever the next election is, uh, early next year, but I think a lot of the reason, like a lot of people go into state, it's the reason why South Australia lost a federal electorate is because people were leaving the state under the economic conditions mm -hmm. that it offered up. Well, she couldn't get a job there, so she moved to Melbourne, right? According to her family, right, isn't like, let's talk about it. the post, the Facebook <laughs> post, <laughs> right, post. from Alexander Downer, like, is just awesome. Like, okay, first things, right, you gotta, people get really sensitive about their families. And that's understandable. And as a father, I'm a father, you know, and the mother and the mother, I think, went on social media too. It's understandable that you sometimes lose a bit of political perspective when, it, you know, when you, your child's being kind of, kids are running for parliament. Someone who's a career politician like Alexander, you know, you, I give him a bit of credit, you, you know, it gets very personal. But to say that part of the problem was all these new arrivals, right? Like these, these yeah. new arrivals have moved into, um, you know, the Adelaide Hills. And as a result of that, the downer name and family has been shamed by all these new people. I mean, come on. It's just unbelievable. So the entire case is that, yes, I left, I came back. You know, we're a vibrant community. People move, they come back for work. And then to have your dad go out there and start blaming the new arrivals, right? And it's not code for, like, African gangs. It's just code for other rich people from Melbourne who have retired to the Adelaide Hills. I just can't see how it's done. This is done. It's dusted. It's the difference when having your party at the pub or having your party at the Ritz. Both of them might be in the same area, but you're going to get very different people going to each one. And if you look at the person in the Ritz and you're just all like, why the hell would you do that? Like, look at look around you. And then you look at the person in your pub and you're like, oh, you're one of us. And that works. I mean, Rebecca Sharkey is an excellent local politician. And when she, when she had to step down, Sky News did Vox like, you know, will you lose? Because everyone was like, oh, great, a downer's back in Mayo. It's, it's done. It's dusted. They could not find a single person who wasn't like, nah, she's great. Everyone loves her there. I just don't think Georgina Downer is going to be able to claw that back. Like, Mayo, I think, is done now. It's changed seats, changed demographics, changed people. It is no longer the seat of Alexander Downer. I think it's interesting that, um, like, Mayo has normally been a Liberal seat, but it has this kind of progressive bent to it. Like you said about the Greens in 2008, uh, the Democrats came close to winning it a couple of times in the 90s. There's an element there where when they're unhappy with the Liberal Party, they do look elsewhere. And I think Sharkey, like Sharkey's built a brand and she's obviously got a lot of the qualities of a, of a strong independent. <coughs> but I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of issues at the moment with the Turnbull government where they, they look at all that and they're like, we're not very happy with this right now and we have this alternative option. And those people in that electorate probably would never vote for the Labor Party, but they've, they've found another alternative that they can in Sharkey and it's working for them. And I think probably, you know, the, the, the Liberals maybe had a moment where they could, they could claw it back and I think they've probably lost that and it may, may be gone for a while. Okay, let's take a quick look now at Western Australia. Labor picked up Perth and Fremantle pretty easily last night, but let's see what voters on the ground had to say about why they decided to stick with Labor.
Um, I think the dual citizenship scandal is bollocks. Yeah, it's nonsense. Yeah, look, the dual citizenship, I guess maybe they should have sorted that out before they went into Parliament. From what I've heard, a lot of them didn't realise they were actually dual citizens because of their birth, their parents or whatever. I think this whole thing is a lot is, is wasting a lot of taxpayers' money. I think Bill Shorten and, and uh, Mr Turnbull have got different goals for the state and a different formula to which they, they fully believe would be successful. If uh, Labor get the opportunity to get back in, they've got to prove their worth. I've always been a Labor voter from the day, since I was 18. I just like Labor. I like what they stand for. It was going to be a very close Animal Justice Party vote, but they're second, so I was happy to do Josh and then then second. I voted for the um, Animal Justice Party as number one and then Labor as number two, um, just to stop the live exports, because that's what I believe in. So, yeah, better treatment of animals. Liberal supporter. 21 years of age, first vote at the Perth Town Hall. Liberal supporters. Normally I vote differently, um, so usually I tend to go, I did go towards Labor, and this time I've chosen Greens, so I think it needs a bit of a shake up. I suppose I look at sort of general issues like social issues and I feel like the Greens are the ones that are sort of quite progressive in that sense and they're trying to you know, push us forward in um, you know, social justice and things like that. I feel like they're the ones who are really sort of focusing on that. I voted so I don't get a fine because the fines went up to $50 last year. They're not just $20 anymore. Now, Ben, the big surprise out of WA was uh, the Liberals obviously didn't run a candidate, neither Perth or Fremantle, but maybe voters were confused by the Liberal Democrats and voted thought they were the Liberals? Yeah, so particularly in Fremantle, the Liberal Democrats got 13% of the vote, which is very good for them. And I do think there probably was a large element. We've seen in when David Lionhelm first got elected to the Senate, mm. and we've seen it in state upper house races where when the Liberal Democrats are to the left of the Liberals on the ballot, they do much, much better than when they're to the right. And I think we probably saw here that there was a bunch of Liberal voters, some of whom stayed home, some of whom maybe voted Labor or Greens, but they looked down the ballot and they say the word Liberal and they vote for it. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's done quite well for them, like David Lionhelm got what, 10% of the vote the first time he was running because he was first on the ballot and the ballot was very big mm. and people just voted But that's all chance, isn't it, about his place on the ballot? Sure, but other candidates who got first on the ballot wouldn't have had the word Liberal and wouldn't yeah, have true. got that as true. anywhere near, you know, for other people maybe that might have a 1% benefit, for him yeah. it was much bigger because of that. Yeah. So if he was running under the Guns Party of Australia, less likely? Less likely. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, we uh, will be back in just a moment. But first, if you're still feeling a little bit dusty from last night, Malcolm Turnbull, I am looking at you. Then uh, Jenna and Jenna have a solution for you. Here's their take on political smoothies. BuzzFeed Australia's editor-at-large. If you're anything like us, Section 44 has put you totally off food and the state of Australian politics makes you want to stick your head in a blender. That's right, Jenna. Thanks, Jenna. Hi, I'm also Jenna from BuzzFeed Australia. And while we've become so disillusioned with the state of things in Canberra, we decided to seek some thought leadership in a place called Instagram. It was here where we discovered people called influencers. 
Influencers are basically like politicians in the fact that they all want to be popular and all have the same weak moral compass when it comes to things like money. And while politicians want us to spend our weekends attending by-elections and voting, influencers encourage us to develop really healthy pastimes like body dysmorphia and drinking juice. So today we've been inspired by our Instagram influencers to pay an homage to our past and present elected officials through the medium of blended drinks. So now the first one is inspired by Pauline Hanson, or as I like to call it, the Pauline Hanson. I love that name. Yeah, thanks, thanks. So basically you take the juice of one lemon, some honey, some cayenne pepper, which is incredibly tasty. Then you take some vinegar. So I tend to prefer to use apple cider vinegar, organic and the one with the mother, but you can really find any type of vinegar that you've got lying around your fish and chip shop. Then you just take a glass of water and then you just... Rips. Cheers! Cheers! <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> so next up is the Clive Palmer. You take a huge carton of milk because he's a fan of the milkshake. Full cream. Anything less than full cream is for sissies. Then you take just a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of Milo. So now the key ingredient here is a lot of ice. Ice block right ahead. Give it a spritz. Take a sip. Okay, are you going to take a sip? I'll take a sip after you. <laughs> Great, we're going to share Clive. Yeah. I got to taste none of the chocolate. Nothing. So I kind of feel a little bit disappointed. Mm. So next up is the Malcolm Turnbull, in an homage to our great leader, Mr. Harborside Mansion himself. So this recipe is actually a Gwyneth Paltrow Goop-inspired recipe, which is one of my favourites. So firstly, you take some cold drip coffee, and then a couple of tablespoons of this very fancy cacao butter. And then you blitz. So then, everyone's favorite, croissant. Who doesn't love a croissant a, on the a go? croissant. Sorry, a croissant. Peel up that buttery mess. A big scoop of a conserve. And then to round it all off, who doesn't love Lurpak? Let's taste. bad. It's not great either though. Mm, it'll do. Next up is the Julie Bishop. I'm excited about this one. Same, because I feel that she would really get into the smoothie life. We are taking a cup of bulletproof coffee. You take some unsweetened almond milk. Sweet isn't really in her sensory experience. Some coconut oil. Good for joints perhaps when yep. you run. Then, because she's always on the go, Protein powder. And how much protein powder? I think on a scale of like one to Putin, you'd go Putin. Cheers! I feel like I can give really good death stairs now. Yeah. And the final recipe for the day is the Bill Shorten. Tell me what Bill Shorten tastes like. So you take one slice of lemon. This is to represent his zingers. And then some lime. The fancy lemon. Lime represents Chloe Shorten. Oh. The only exciting element of Bill Shorten's persona. Then you add tap water. The Bill Shorten. Very basic. It's pretty basic. Cheers. Cheers. Tastes like nothing. Mediocre. And there we have it. That is our political inspired smoothies. Oh, we didn't do any greens. Oh, they get enough attention anyway.
Well, that's nearly all we have time for here for this Super Sunday Brunch edition of Ozpol Live. But first, I love a bit of prop comedy. So uh, we've printed out a, uh, a life-size version of our political strife scale that we often tweet out when politicians come under trouble. Now, just to give you an example of how it works, I've got a, a picture of, of someone here. Now, uh, the last time he featured on the strife scale, he was down here near Disgraced. But we'll pop you down here, Sam, uh, for Channel 10 pilots, <laughs> I think, down there. Is um, that where you think that you'd what, sit now? What, yes, yes, but definitely. But you could be more than one thing, can't you? Because I'm definitely former, um, sometimes colourful, I think certainly often colourful. Controver and controversial. Yeah. But I'm not under pressure and I'm not troubled. No, okay, well, let's put you in former for the moment then. Put you former, in former for now. Former and. Uh, but I'm definitely down here. <laughs> definitely 10, down here. And, so, okay, pilot. if this is Channel 10 pilot, then where's Sky News host? <laughs> well, somewhere down the end to, as well. So, let's start off with uh, Bill Shorten. He had a good night last night, uh, better than most people anticipated. Where do we see him? on the scale today. Evan, what do you think? Um, there's not really a, a place to put him, I think, that he's not really under pressure anymore. No. So you might just, and he's not really colourful, he's very, very dry, so he's, he can uh, yes. probably go off the scale. Just, so he's off the scale down there. there. Still there. Very low, very Bill low Shorten for Bill Shorten. Bill still Bill Shorten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. We have one category. You got to add one that's just Bill Shorten, <laughs> right? In the middle here. Just somewhere. Just somewhere. Just yeah. a Bill Shorten. Yeah. Okay. And you go. And somebody goes. Someone so they they are so Bill Shorten Maybe we right could now. Add one at that's the bottom. So that is so Bill. Bill. That's so Bill. Bill. Maybe we could have one at the bottom that's just talked about. Yeah. You know, like a room, like a leadership Exist. rumors. Like yeah. there. Exists. <laughs> Exists in the world. Okay. Well, then let's Very go nice. to our fearless Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull. Where do you think? He is sitting after last night's results. Is he under pressure? Is he troubled? Look, he's definitely blue. Like, he's definitely in the blue. Mm. I think he's halfway between troubled and under troubled pressure. Troubled and under pressure. You can't lose he's 10 been... points off your primary vote mm. and pretend that you're not under pressure or troubled. Ben, what do you think? You're a numbers man. Well, I think he was under pressure yesterday Ooh, okay. before the voting. And I think maybe he's troubled and I think it's like, we'll see how it goes this week. Yeah. Like how he deals with it all, I reckon. Yeah, Evan, how do you feel about Not well, trouble for Malcolm? Yeah, you probably well, don't feel good about probably, it. But. Probably, <laughs> probably, I agree, probably in between troubled and under pressure. But troubled do you have an Emma Hussar face we can just put as embattled? No, no, we don't. <laughs> Although I think that she was uh, beleaguered in the paper today. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, so we're going to put Malcolm between under pressure and troubled. And uh, look, I mean, I wanted to ask before we wrap up, if you were Malcolm, when are you calling the election, Evan? Uh, as long as possible. I think um, it's smart to go probably May next year. That way he'll have been the longest Prime Minister since John Howard. People like stability. People actually, as much as the press gallery likes it, people actually don't like leadership changes. And I think it's- Do you think that you'd describe him as a stable Prime Minister? Well, he, the, the fact, that he's been there the longest in recent memory. Um, most like people are like, low bar, it, it, though, low and bar. the first prime minister since Howard to go to an election and then go to another election. That's very true. Amy, what do you think? Yeah, I think we're not going until May. For those reasons, Malcolm Turnbull is going to really enjoy saying how he was the longest serving prime minister since John Howard. Mm. So that's going to yeah, be a factor. I can hear it in the talking points right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. And also, I just, I just think like the only thing worse than getting a lecture from Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull is going to be getting a lecture from former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull. So just put that off for as long well, as possible. Well, we heard from a former Prime Minister on 7.30 this week, so it <laughs> doesn't stop them weighing <laughs> yep. in. Um, ben, one of the big questions I think looking forward for the Liberal Party is if they can't pick up marginal seats like Braddon and Longman, how does this fare for, for another full election? Do you think that 
uh, he's going to wait as long as possible to try and pick up more marginal seats? Well, so the Liberals actually lo have lost their majority because of the redistributions. A couple of seats have changed hands. So they actually need to pick up seats in order to maintain their majority. And like, no one seat is ever that crucial, but when you when you take off seats like Longman off the table, or you say probably Braddon, you know, is probably stable now, or similar seats like that, the, the, the path narrows. Like, both sides are gonna be looking at winning seats off the other side, but like, I don't think this is gonna be an election where it's gonna be all about uh, Labor just gaining seats of the Liberals. I think there's going to be a bit of give and take and both sides on the offence and defence. And yeah, with these, with this kind of result, uh, I'm not going to say that he doesn't have the chance, but it, it narrows the field for him. It, he needs to do very well in what, what is left on the plate. Sam, final okay. thoughts? Final thoughts. So in the papers today, there was a really good piece of advice. For, for Malcolm, he's obviously going to go as late as possible. His numbers are shit. You're not going to go unless you think you're going to win. Like, this is crazy. But, yeah. but in the paper today, City Morning Herald, or as we like to call it, Nine Print, right, um, uh, had a bit of advice. There was this, like, thing about how people, politicians sleep at night. And there was some advice that I think Kevin Rudd has definitely been taking that he's been giving to others. And that is, Rudd practices a sleep discipline to stop the mind chewing over past slights or injustices. And I think that that's... Does he? Of course, because when I think of Zen stability, I think of, you know, <laughs> love him. I love Kevin. And I, I'm sure that, you know, when I think of someone who can just let go and not have slights and not have things bother them, it's definitely, yeah. definitely Kevin And I Kevin think Ryan. that's exactly what it'll say in Chapter 2 of his three-part book, yeah, right? Yeah, well, you think it's only going to be three parts. Um, he's so, when I met him, he's threatened three. So I think <laughs> it's going to go, I think he's, he's, look, the next couple of weeks, he's going to dance around here. Yeah. He'll go to the election. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Bill will go to the election. Uh, it'll be sometime next year. I mean, you know, on current polling, obviously, you'd be favouring Labor. Yeah. That's the yeah. things are. But it's it a question of viable alternative. There's no viable alternative in the Liberal Party to become the next leader at the moment. Peter Dutton isn't in, isn't in a position to take over. And his seat is in a lot of danger. And his seat's yep. in a lot of danger. So he's probably too focused on getting re-elected than becoming. So this is very off-brand for me. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So. Put it back the, on the screen. The difference between. Uh, Turnbull situation and the past prime ministers who were rolled was there was a sense that maybe someone else could do better and I think the problem for them is that Turnbull's probably doing as, about as good a job as someone can do with the situation they're in like I don't mm. think the Liberal Party's problems mm. are to do with the leader like I think he's not perfect but he, like the problems are, are deeper they're more about the party and all of those things and anyone else who takes that over whereas when you know when Abbott was replaced by Turnbull there was at least some sense that maybe there was potential there to at least be more stable if not um, yeah. have more popular policies but in the end the, the problems for them I, I think are emanating from what they're doing rather than uh, who, who is in the chair. Okay, well, thank you all so much for joining us today. Sam, Ben, Amy, Evan. And thank you so much for watching. If you missed any of today's show, you can find it on our Twitter page at BuzzFeed Ozpol or on our Facebook or my Twitter account at Workman Alice. Uh, as, uh, I want to thank everyone from BuzzFeed in front of the camera and behind the camera that have helped out with this Super Sunday brunch today. Uh, and as Lucy Kachui would say, see ya!